We are in Daniel, the third chapter, and verse 3. And this is the account of King Nebuchadnezzar, who seemed very much to be a quite, <laughs> quite an egotistical nut job, which we see from time to time uh, around the world. And um, he had this really inflated ego and uh, ruled with a very strong hand, and he basically decided to create this gigantic image, this god, made of gold, the thing had to be worth a fortune, and um, had made this decree that every time the musicians played, everyone on the, in the land who could hear the music were supposed to bow down and worship the idol, and then they can get up and go on. So, uh, this was fine except for Daniel and his three friends, um, which they named, uh, Nebuchadnezzar named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And because uh, they were Jews and they wanted to honor God. And one of the things you don't do is bow down and worship idols. Interesting that these guys would have so much character. The reason that uh, Israel was being taken into captivity, Daniel and his guys were on the first wave. Then the rest of them went later was for the very reason they had no problem bowing down and worshiping idols. So the fact that these guys uh, had a problem with it showed that clearly these were men of great character that God had protected going into captivity so that they wouldn't be killed and destroyed with so many of those that were. So anyway, the music starts. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and of course Daniel as well, um, were not would not bow down and worship. Now Daniel didn't get in trouble. He was back in the in the uh, palace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were out in the field as um, in charge of stuff that was going out in the field. Daniel was kind of the head guy. All of this great favor came to them because Daniel was able to interpret the king's dream that nobody else could interpret. So all of a sudden, Daniel becomes this big guy. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go out there and they're out in the field. Well, it's the guys out in the field that see that they're not bowing, so they come in and squeal to the king. Obviously, I'm sure Daniel wasn't bowing either, but nobody saw him one way or the other, so he had escaped. So the king brings these three guys in and says, listen, um, you need to go over the rules here. When the musicians play, you need to bow down. Now, the reason he didn't just kill them right off the bat, which I'm sure he would have under normal circumstances, is these were major officials in his kingdom at this point. So he brought them in to try and reason with them. And said look you need to do this. And then we pick it up at verse 16. Where Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to the king. Oh Nebuchadnezzar. We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Because he, had thrown, he, he said listen if you don't do this we're going to throw you into a fiery furnace. He said if we are thrown into the blazing furnace. So then they have a profession of faith here. The God we serve is able to save us from it. So you got to start there. Do you really believe God is able to do what you're asking them, asking for him to do? Uh, most people's immediate response would be yes. But then when you go to the next level of that and say, well, can you even imagine God doing what you're asking. Can you see and imagine the answer in your head? I have been stunned at how many people in crisis 
say they can't do it. They cannot imagine being, they can't picture themselves being healed of whatever disease they have or their finances turning around. And they, they can't even get, they are in such a state of panic and freak out, they can't imagine it. Now, the problem here is, I think it kind of eliminates the first step. Because the first step says, our God is able to save us. Well, if you really believe God is able to save us, you should be able to imagine it. Quite frankly, you should be able to imagine things that are not even possible, such as the power of our imagination. Uh, for example, everyone imagine elephants flying around the room right now. My guess is you can do that. I can do that, and I'm not on drugs. I'm imagining elephants flying around the room. Okay, now, that's impossible. I don't think elephants will ever fly anywhere. Unless there's elephants in heaven that fly. I have no idea. Okay? Now stop and think about that. It's easy to imagine even the absurd. When you can't even imagine what is actually possible. And certainly imagine what God can do in your life. Do you really believe step one? That our God is able to save us from it. I mean, it's really a major problem. Because you've got to, you know, Jesus made this statement in, in uh, the Gospel of Mark. He says, when you pray, believe that you have received it, and you will get it. Interesting that he says, past tense. In other words, when you pray, believe that you have received it. Even though you haven't received it yet. And then you'll get it. Well, how do you do that? Well, it starts even with the most basic thing of being able to picture in your mind your answer. It's real. It's real. I know it's real. I know God can do it. One of the things about praising God, we talk about praising God. Many people teach on praise as, a, as the first step to faith. Because what praise does is thanks God in advance for the answer, even though they don't have the answer. Does this make sense? I mean, it's like if I give you $100, which I'm not going to do, but if I gave you $100, it would be easy for you to go, thank you. Thanks for the $100. It's a little bit different when you say, man, I want to thank you for the hundred dollars you're about to give me. Wow. See, but that's what praise is. Praise is praising and thanking God before you have the answer. It's also thanking God when you already have the answer. It's both parts of it. But the, but the faith part of praise is when you actually start praising and worshiping and celebrating God. Lord, you have given us the victory. You've delivered us. That's celebratory praise in advance of what God is going to do. It's an exercise of faith. It is believing you have received it before you get it. I'm amazed at how many people struggle with this. They, I'm, honestly, they cannot imagine the answer to their prayers. I remember talking to a lady once. Uh, you know, her daughter was sick. And she was in a complete panic. And she was getting as many people as she could to pray for her. Because she needed a miracle. But oftentimes we think 
that if I can just get lots of other people to pray for me, I'll be okay, even though I'm not in a place of faith. But I don't think that's very likely. Quite frankly, I don't think it's possible. Even the Bible says Jesus, when he came to some people, could not do any miracles because of their unbelief. Jesus, the Son of the living God, the creator of heaven and earth, the Bible says could do no miracles. I mean, people like to play these theological things. Can God make a rock so big that he can't pick it up? You know, some kind of a trick question. Well, the answer is, sure. Well, that freaks their head. What do you mean? God can do anything. Well, he can and he can't. Because one of the things he can't do is do a miracle for people who will not believe. Again, what does the Bible say? Jesus could do no miracles because of their unbelief. Well, just running around when you're in a state of panic and shock and trying to get 15 million people around the world to pray for you, it's not going to get you your answer. If you are in a state of panic and fear, and you cannot even begin to imagine your miracle. So this lady's running around doing all this, and she was handing out flyers, you know, and getting people to pray for her, her daughter. And I, I said, let me ask you a question. She said, yeah. I said, can you imagine in your mind your daughter being completely healthy and whole? And she looked, and it took, it took her no time at all. She looked straight at me and said, no, I can't. So you can't even begin to... She says, no, I can't. Of course, then I tried to talk to her and I was just, you know, talking to her, passing a few minutes in the hallway and she wasn't going to be able to grasp it. A lot of you are going to listen to me talk about this for weeks and you're still not going to be able to grasp it, much less her in that moment. But I was stunned that she couldn't get this and then she ran off handing out lots of flyers again. Um, <clears throat> talked to another guy um, with a life-threatening illness and asked him the same question. I said, well, can you even imagine, can you see yourself being whole? And he says to me, no, I, I can't. And again, I tried to encourage him. Man, you've got to at least get to that place. It's called the place of faith. Uh, and I've repeated this over and over and over again. In fact, it's one of the first things, if, if you come to me in a state of complete panic and shock, it is one of the first questions I'll ask you. Can you, because if you can't even imagine God doing what is possible for God to do, you're in a bad place. Remember, you can imagine anything. We have the capability to imagine and picture our minds things that are absurd and impossible. Hollywood is great at this. They have some of the most skilled and creative minds in the universe who through the use of special effects and graphics and cinematography create worlds that do not exist. And very likely it would be impossible for them to exist. Yet we see it, they create it, they can imagine anything. That's the nature of man. When you actually find yourself up against something where you can't even see or imagine the answer, that should be a warning sign to you. I hope you're getting this because when you can't do that, that should be a sign that there is a spiritual block in your heart and in your mind because you should be able to imagine the absurd. But when you can't even imagine the possible, and remember, with God, all things are possible, you are in a bad place. Now, if you feel this wall that you're coming up against, 
and you can't get there. What do you do? Now it's time to get really serious in your prayer life. First of all, quit freaking, quit crying. Oftentimes, this is the perfect time to begin to fast and pray. And it might be a day, it might be two days, it might be three days, it might be 15 days, it might be 40 days, I don't know, whatever. But you've got to be able to break that wall in your life. And, you know, if I had the opportunity to ask somebody, because a lot of people who watch this really all over the world, you know, certainly at our campuses, at Celebration Church, and people who watch us on the internet and stuff like that, there's a lot of you who really can't get that. And you know what I'm talking about. You are facing something that seems so insurmountable, you just cannot even get there in your mind. It's a bad place to be. Um, I've always known this in in my life. Um, and one of the first things I will do is see if I can't get to a place where I can at least imagine the answer. Most of the time, I can. There are some times when I could not. I just could not do it. That to me, okay, alarm, something's wrong, there is a spiritual block, it may be, might be Satan, might be just pure unbelief, it might be fear, whatever it is, I need to just work on this. Forget the answer, forget anything. I'm not trying to make anything happen at this point. I'm just trying to imagine... <clears throat> My answer. By the way, this is not some kind of new age visualization thing. I know people get all, you know, jiggity about it. Okay, this is not some weird new age. I'm just talking about being able to see in your mind the possible answer that God can bring. Because how can you possibly say you believe it when you can't even imagine it? And when that has happened in my life, I would begin to pray. I would begin to fast. And I and I again, I'm not trying to make anything happen. I'm not trying to literally. Even get my answer to prayer at this point. I'm just trying to get to a place where I can see the answer in my heart. That's all I'm trying. And I pray that. I say, God, I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm just, I'm, Lord, help me be able to at least see the possibility of what you can do. It's step number one. Our God is able to save us. How can you believe that if you can't even picture it in your mind? I remember when my wife got cancer the first time and she started getting tumors popping up on her leg that the doctors warned us would eventually kill her they gave us five years as an optimistic thing obviously it's been I don't know how long it's been now it's been almost 10 years now it's, it's been a while and there's not a trace of cancer in her body at the time because God answered our prayer. But it started with step number one. I needed to get to a place of faith. I could not even picture in my mind that tumor on her leg being gone. I couldn't even picture. I couldn't even imagine her just above her knee. I couldn't imagine that not having a tumor on it. Right away I knew I was in trouble. I didn't panic. I didn't freak. I just, I need to break through that stronghold. In my life. I began to fast. I began to pray. And then I finally got to the point where God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, at least helped me get it. Suddenly, I could picture it. I could at least just picture what was possible. Again, we should have no problem picturing what is possible. Because we have the ability to picture anything that is impossible. Again, that's the warning sign. When you can't picture what you know God can do. 
you've got a problem. You've got to break through that. And I finally got to that place. And then I was able to start getting to a place where I could pray in faith. And I might add, amazingly, that tumor disappeared. It was just the first step in a long struggle. But then, man, I was fired up in my soul. I knew God's able to do this. Doctors looked at it and they just, you know, but then a tumor popped up somewhere else. You know, they didn't explain how that one went away. But now I'm in a place of faith. We continue to hang in there. We trusted God. She went through the treatments and stuff. And again, uh, despite their dire predictions, she's cancer-free all these years later. Um, you've, you've got to get to that place. Can you picture it? Can you picture it? Um, because it's really a step of faith. It's, it's like, I remember some years ago, we were married only a few years. And we were in a state of financial crisis. We needed $100, you know, which early on in your marriage, $100 is a big crisis. <laughs> I remember when Leslie and Ross were first married. Um, it had only been a year or so later. Leslie calls us up and she just says, I made a mistake. I made a horrible mistake. And of course, we freak. We think, oh no. Oh no. She's going to divorce the bum. You know what So she comes in and tears in her eyes. She said, I made a terrible mistake. I said, well, well what is it? I'm $100 overdrawn in our checking account. I got to tell you, the collective sigh of relief from my wife and I was dramatic. Oh, are you kidding me? This was your crisis? Well, when you're young, married, and you're struggling, and you don't have much of anything, excuse me, $100 is a big deal. Some of you right now, you're at that point in your life. A $100 shortfall is a big stinking deal to you. So anyway, it was like that. By the way, I quickly wrote in the check for $100 and Send her back to Ross, thank God. That <laughs> she wasn't moving out or something. But anyway, <clears throat> so we're in that same place. And I remember calling my mom. This was just like my daughter came to mom and dad. I also went to mom and dad because we need $100. I mean, that's a great thing about family being there for each other. Which again, you families who, if you disapprove of your kids marrying too young or something, you cut them off and you have nothing to... You're virtually guaranteeing their failure. Don't think like that. Families get birth to families. You need to still be there with each other. So I call mom, and I'm I'm in a state of panic. I mean, my heart's racing. I'm borderline sweating because I was short this hundred and some whatever it was, hundred fifty, hundred seventy dollars, whatever. Um, and I told mom, I explained the situation to her. And of course, to her, it was like me to, to Leslie. It's it nothing. It's not like we can write a check for $100. It's nothing to us. We're older. We've been around for a while. We make a decent living. You're just starting in life. I promise you, from our worldview, $100 is not jack squat. We're not rich, but $100 is nothing. My mother the same way. So because my dad was a doctor. He obviously had a pretty good income. I'm sure the 100 and some dollars was not a big deal to them. It was a big deal to me. So I call. I ask them. And she said, no problem. No problem. I'm sure she just was smiling on her face. I'll send you the money. I'll put a 
put a check in the mail tomorrow. Now, I got to tell you something. Immediately, my blood pressure went down. Immediately, my fear was erased. Immediately, the perspiration off of my brain was gone. Because she told me she was going to put it in the mail. And I immediately began to thank her. Thank you, Mom. You're the best. I'm now thanking her. I'm now praising her. Why? Because she said she's going to send me the check. Now, had I gotten the check yet? No. I mean, what had happened? What had changed? Nothing. Before the call, I'm in a state of complete panic because I have this great need that I cannot meet. Right after the call, what had changed? Physically, nothing. I still didn't have the money. The need was still there. The pressure was on. We had no answer on, in ourselves. But now all the fear is gone. All the tension is gone. And now I'm in a state of praise to my mom. Thank you, mom. You're the best. And then, of course, after talking to her, I went to God. Thank you, God, for a mom who could pull us out of this deal. Okay? I am calm. I'm at peace. Do I have the check? I do not. Nothing's changed. But I've changed. Why? Because I believe her. In my mind, it was a done deal. Checks in the mail. I could picture it. I could see it. I could imagine it. I knew it was on the way. All the fear had completely evaporated. Because mom said it was in the mail. So, you know, the same thing with faith. If we come to God and we're asking God and God's says to us, no problem, checks in the mail. If we really believe that, if we can really see it, what happens? You relax. The pressure's gone. You actually get into a state of praise and thanksgiving toward God for something that has not yet happened. Because you haven't gotten the check yet. I hope you're grasping this, because in the natural we see it. I'm sure the analogy with mom and dad, all of you can relate to. It's with God that we have the problem. It's called unbelief. That's what unbelief is. Unbelief is, I don't believe it. And look, at the first step to conquering unbelief is just to admit, I don't believe it. That's my problem. Again, my problem when first trusting God for Debbie wasn't that she was sick. I recognized my immediate first problem was unbelief. Now, this is strange because I generally don't struggle with unbelief. But I knew right away, I'm in a bad place. I, I can't even imagine this thing. I'm in, I'm in trouble. What am I going to do? So I focus on breaking the unbelief so I can get to a place of faith. And then start praising and thanking God. Man, I was walking around. Once I could see it, I am celebrating. I'm telling you. I was celebrating it like it had already happened. It's called faith. Let me ask you a question. What part of faith is praising God for a miracle after you get it? Now, you still should be thankful. That's what the Bible says about faith. You should be thankful. And you can still praise Him for it. But what part of faith is that? If you need $1,000, and I walk up and hand you the $1,000, I don't know, God told me to give you $1,000, I'm sure you can be very thankful and great, but that's not faith at that point. 
That's just thankful praise, which is good. But can you imagine feeling, imagine right now, whatever you need, in your, let's, let's imagine you need $1,000. Again, you should be able to imagine anything. Let's imagine you desperately need $1,000, and I come up and I give you $1,000. Unexpectedly, I don't know why, I just give you $1,000. Can you imagine how you would feel? All of you, I think, could imagine how you would feel. You would feel elated. You would feel celebratory. The, 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 the edges of the mouth would be touching the ears. You'd have a gleam and sparkle in your eye. You would be singing the next song louder than you sang the one before. You know that's true. It's exactly what you would do. What I'm telling you is when you get to a true state of faith, that's exactly how you feel before you get your answer. Is this getting through to anybody? It's, it's exactly how you feel when you're in a state of faith before you get your answer. And you can see people who are in a state of faith, even in the midst of their trial and tri- tribulation. They've, the ears are back. The, the ears are back. <laughs> Touching behind your head. No, the, the, the edges of your mouth are back toward the ears. The sparkle in your eye. The calmness. The voice singing to God, celebrating. You are in a positive state. Has anything changed? No. How's your life? It's awful. Really? Oh, it's quite dreadful. Yes. Yes. I, you know, we're all going to die here. Really? How can you be? Oh, man, I'm telling you, I feel I'm such in a positive place. Why? I, I, I believe God. I really believe this. I mean, I believe it not intellectually. Yeah, I kind of know. I'm talking about I, I can see it. I can imagine. I know. Dude, the check is in the mail. I know the check is in the mail. That's step number one. If we are thrown in the fiery furnace, the God we serve is able to save us. They knew he was able. They didn't have a problem picturing this. And it's the first step. You've got to be able to see it. Because when you can see it, it becomes real. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, ask for what you want. If you will believe you have, past tense, received it, it, you will get it. See, hopefully now that verse makes more sense to you. That's how you get there. That's how you believe you have received it. Just like mom tells me, the check's in the mail, I believe I've got it. It's done. It's over with. It's in the mail. I know I've received it. Have I actually received it? No. Do I have it in my hands? No. Has the mailman showed up? No. Nothing, nothing, nothing has changed in my physical world. But in here, everything's changed. I feel fabulous. It's in the mail. It's in the mail. I believe my mom. Now, can you imagine how insulting? Now, this isn't designed to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to give you a sense of why it's so important to get there. Can you imagine if my daughter came to me and said, Dad, the world's coming to an end. I need $100. I said, okay, I'll give you $100. And she kept crying. What's wrong? (laughs) I don't have $100. I told you I'd give it to you, but I don't have it. How do I know I'm going to get it? How can I possibly? Now, can you imagine for a minute... That might be a little insulting 
to me as I tried to reason with her. Relax. I will give you the hundred dollars. Well, where is it? How do I even know you have it? <laughs> Can you imagine how my mother would feel? She says, don't worry about it. I'll put it in the mail. And I kept crying. And I kept freaking. And I kept, she'd say, hey, stop. I told you. I'll put it, well, I don't know how that's going to happen. I just can't imagine it, you know. <laughs> You're in Wisconsin. I'm in Illinois. <laughs> how do I know that check's going to come? What if the mailman doesn't show up? What, you know? What if, what if they go on strike? What if that happens? What if the, all the mail people go on strike for the next week? What am I going to do? I'll tell you what we do. We imagine the worst case scenarios of why things cannot happen. Which, by the way, for those of you who are struggling still with this concept, I don't see how you can imagine. Listen to me. You already are experts at doing this. But not in faith. You do it in fear all the time. How do you experience fear? Here's what you do. This thing's coming. Here you are. And then you begin to Imagine the worst case scenario. Oh, we're going to lose everything. I'm going to lose my job. The kids, you know, college educations are going to be gone. Uh, They're going to throw, they're going to repossess our house. You picture this stuff. It's why some of you can't sleep at night. Do you know why? Because you are expert movie makers. You guys are Cecil B. DeMille. Of course, that's... Too old. You're Steven Spielberg. <laughs> For those of you who don't know who DeMille was. You're the Steven Spielberg. You're producing constantly. You're laying in your, in your bed. Oh, this horrible thing's going to happen. And oh, I can see this. And, and this. You freak. You panic. Over something that has not happened. It hasn't happened at all. Yet you are convinced. It's gonna, you actually experience the pain and the anguish of something that has not happened. All of you listening to me do this, and some of you do it all the time. I know people, man, that they're, if they know they got relatives coming to visit them in Wisconsin, and a bad snowstorm is coming, just look at them. They come unglued. They start literally imagining them getting stuck in the snow, spinning out of control, crashing. Uh, oh my gosh, you know, how are we going to know if they make it? Uh, you know, if they get stuck, I hope they got a cell phone so they can call 9 I'm telling you, we are so good at this. We are experts at the anti faith. We are professionals at not believing God. We are so puking good at this. It's, it's stunning to the mind. And how skillful we are at picturing and imagining failure, financial ruin, abandonment. Some of you in your relationships, you have so rehearsed what's going to happen when your spouse leaves you and the children are going to be... You have rehearsed these things over and over and over. You do these movies. Again, you you know what I'm talking about. You can't sleep at night. Why? The movie's playing. You, it plays so much and it becomes so real to you that physically you get sick. Your st-
stomach tightens, acid is pouring into your belly. You've got to be popping at acids. You're nervous. You're, you are undone. You're absolutely undone. You know what I'm talking about. All of us at some point have experienced this. Some of you experience it constantly. Some of you experiencing it right now. Some of you are imagining, oh my God, what if he never shows up and I can never get home? I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm some of you, they just constantly are living in a state of fear and horror. There's people who can't even come to a church service because they're afraid of crowds. They actually picture in their mind, what if I can't get out? Or what if I can't breathe? What if, you know, that's not to slam them. That, that's obviously a real problem. They need some help, counseling, get through that. But what is that? That they are experts. It's gotten out of control for them. They can literally rehearse death, destruction. I mean, to the point they can't breathe. They literally feel suffocated thinking and about imagining being stuck in a room where you can't get out with too many people. There's people who can't leave their homes. They're so full of fear. Why? Because they can picture. They have their movie. Their imagination, their Steven Spielberg productions are so out of control. They see things that, by the way, will never happen. Most of us fear things that will never happen. They they just never happen. But we're professional. We are perfect at it. We're great at it. Don't tell me you can't do this in a state of faith. You do it all the time in a state of unbelief. You've got to break this habit. You've got to, and I'm telling you, I know what it's like. You know when you're in a state of unbelief because you cannot do it. Isn't it amazing? We have no problem imagining the worst. We have no problem imagining elephants flying around the room. We have no problem imagining a movie, you know, like Avatar where mountains are floating in the sky and all these big blue people are, you know, we can see it all. We can imagine it we can, because our imaginations are unlimited. But when you cannot even imagine and see the answer to your prayer, that should be an alarm to you. That should be a warning to you. Something is wrong. I am in a state of unbelief. You have to start there. Guys, If you can't start with step number one, our God is able to save us. You can't get to step two that says he will rescue us and forget about getting to the point where you can confidently say, but even if he doesn't, who cares? These are the three steps of faith. I thought I'd have gotten to the third one by now. I'm still talking about number one because I can't shut up. But this is important. You've got to get this stuff in your head. We have to get it. We have to get it. You've got to be able, truly to be able to say, our God is able to save us. Now check it. These guys, even after getting there, they knew there was no guarantee that he would. Because they said, well, even if he doesn't. What kind of weird thing is that? I thought, I thought, Mark, you, you got to the state of faith and you're trusting God. Look, there's no guarantee that whatever you imagine is going to happen per se. God might have, who knows what's going to happen. But if you can't start with number one, you'll never get to number three. And you'll certainly never get to four, which was the answer to what they were praying for.
which we haven't gotten to yet. And we still won't because I've gone too long. So, next Wednesday night, we'll continue this. I'm telling you, this little section of the Bible right here, this story, to me, is life-changing. You get this. If there's, of all the stuff I teach you about faith, of all the stuff I teach you about knowing God, if when I die, you remember only one thing, The truth of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I will feel I have succeeded. If you cannot get this, I feel I, I will have failed. You may not understand all the stuff about baptism. You may not understand everything about speaking in tongues. You may not understand anything about redemption and justification. And, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that I will do my best to try and teach you and continue to do my best. But, You've got to get this. This simple little account, if you really look at it and understand it and grasp it, it will change your life. You will go from a person who hears about God doing great things to a person who experiences God doing great things. And when you start experiencing God doing great things, (laughs) you walk around smiling when everybody else is frowning. You've got peace when everybody else is in turmoil. You've got joy when everyone else is in mourning. The sun is shining when for everyone else it's in the middle of the night. Why? Because you've learned to walk with God and experience God. And even still, me living in this most of the time, I've had my moments where I can't even imagine it. It's unbelief. I break through that first and then go on to see what God will do. All right? So we'll pick this up again next Wednesday and uh, hopefully get through <laughs> the other few points here because otherwise we'll wait till after Lent. But I will, I'll, tr- I'll try and, and, and get that. But this is, this is so vitally important. It is the very first step of faith.